Hey, it's Tony Macia with the Charlotte Ledger, and you're listening to the Charlotte Ledger Podcast. We talk with Charlotte leaders about important and interesting issues with an eye toward making you smarter, telling you things you don't know, and introducing you to people with insights about trends in Charlotte. You can find out more about the Charlotte Ledger and subscribe to one of our award-winning newsletters by going to thecharlotteledger.com. Today, I'm happy to have with us newly elected Charlotte City Council member Marjorie Molina. She represents Charlotte's East Side. She won the Democratic primary in May 2022, had no opposition in the general election, and was sworn in in September 2022. Councilmember Molina, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me, Tony. All right. So the temptation when talking to people in politics usually is to go down a list of issues, and ask where they stand, and put you on the spot. We might talk about some issues today, but what I'm really more interested in is this journey that you've had from ordinary citizen to political insider now and, and what that journey is like. You know, because I think that some people, you know, they they see elected officials, they look at the city council, county commission, members of Congress, and they think, oh well, could I do that? And well, do I have the skills needed to do that? Would I be any good at it? Is is this something I want to do? Is this a way I can serve? And, and a lot of for a lot of us the answer is no. But for you <laughs> the answer apparently is yes. And so you have a front row seat on what that experience is like. And so I'd like to start by breaking that down a little bit if we could. So could you tell me, just you know, starting off, sort of what led you to this point, and you know, what's your background? What, you know, what's your Charlotte story? How did you wind up here? How did you get to this point? I moved here in 2004, and I was in my very early 20s. I um, I took a job with City Citibank, and I bought a house in Southwest Charlotte in Steel Creek. And I started working. I started working. And, you know, back then I worked long hours because I was young. You know, early 20s, it's like you, you work, you hang out with your friends. You, you know, grind it out. You you know? it yeah, you, work yeah, you hard, just grind hard. it out like I was working. Yeah. And so um, I, you know, I bought my first place in Southwest Charlotte. That's where I lived. I, of course, met my uh, husband and we had two children. So I've, I've spent the last 18 years in Charlotte. Um, and so it's been, I, I like to believe I grew up in Charlotte because when I came, I wasn't the woman that I am now. You know, a lot of the experiences that I had here in Charlotte, they shaped me. They shaped me into what everyone sees right now. What kind of things were you involved in? What sort of things uh, shaped you? Oh, wow. Uh, well, when I first came, I wasn't involved immediately in the community. Um, a little bit in South Charlotte, I was a voter. I'd go to a few meetings, but I really got involved when I moved to East Charlotte about 12 or 13 years ago. So it was like 12 and a half years ago that I moved to East Charlotte. And then it was, I was involved right away. I got to know the community and I started going to meetings. And then I met John Autry, who was actually, uh, Nancy Carter was our, our representative when I came here. And I really didn't get involved until we elected John Autry. You know, that's when I really was paying attention. I was really tuned in. And I just started volunteering. Like I said, the night of my oath, I kind of, you know, walked up to him and, you know, started talking to him and asking him questions. And he started inviting me places and saying, hey, you know, come here, we're going to be doing this. And had you always been interested in politics? I know. Or is it just something you started, you know, volunteering in the community, different organizations but, and kind of got sucked? Yeah, in? I'm a community servant at heart. You know, I, I like to be in a community where I, and I guess you could call it a spiritual purpose. I, I like for my spiritual purpose to lead me. So naturally, I'm not, you know, political. Although in my undergraduate degree, I was a public 
policy capital scholar. So I worked in Washington, D.C. at an international nonprofit focused on policy. But policy and politics are very different. They're not two in the same. You know, if you learn to understand and dissect policy, policy has a lot to do with economics. My master's degree is in business. We took economics. So, you know, and, and a lot of other maths that I was rusty in before I started grad school. Uh, <laughs> it's, but, really, it's um, really interesting because I think I think you're right. I mean, some people, I think, really love the politics side of it. And some people really love the policy side of it. And those are very yep. different skills. You know, I think of you know, Mayor Lyle. She came up really through the policy side. But yep. sort of had to learn a little bit of the politics side. And, and, and that's where I am. Sort of on a similar journey. Yep, that's exactly my journey. It's I, the politics side is not really what I've been interested in at all. Uh, you know, it's, it's really the policy side, the things that can make a difference in someone's life. You know, how can we make that quantitative? Because we have to make it quantitative. A lot of times we talk about policy and we act as though that the policy is not something that's it, like it's purely qualitative, you know, and although there are qualitative factors when we deal with policy, I'm at a loss because a lot of the times quantitative is not even a part. It's not even a part of the conversation, right. you know, and, you know, speaking of Mayor Lau, she was our budget director. You know, every time she probably thought of a policy, the policy itself really registered to her from a quantitative perspective. How does this make sense financially first? Right. That's like the premise of that's like the baseline of the policy. And then you build on qualitative factors that can that that could make the policy more sound. So I, you know, I, I come from that place. Uh, okay, so so and, how did you get to the point where you said, OK, being on city council is something I want to do? Well, I got a lot of asks. So serving in the community, I had a lot of people who I'd worked with very closely feel like that I could do the job. You know, my my aspiration was to probably do something in international development or something like that. Like, that's what I thought in, in my head. Like I was going to, you know, work for the State Department or something and work with international policy or something like that was what I saw uh, eventually once I got my kids big enough to be able to travel. But I started getting asks and the asks were from people who I respected. It was about like 2021, early 2022. Council member Matt Newton said he was going to run for judge. There was going to yep. be an opening on the east side where you live. And people yep. started coming to you saying, hey, Marjorie, you should you should think about this. That's that's how yep. it went. Yep, that's exactly how it went. It was it was people just starting to ask. And it, I'm in grad school at the time, Tony. Mm hmm. Right. Like, like I'm, you were I'm getting a master's schooling. at uh, UNC yeah. Charlotte, right? Business. Yeah. Uh, so it's like I, I'm you got two kids, you know, you know you're, you're a mom, you're a student, you're a community volunteer. And you have people telling you, hey, you should really look at this. You do a good job. That's what. Yep, pretty much. And why didn't you and, say, OK, y'all are crazy. I've got too much going on. Well, I'd considered it once before in 2017. John Autry uh, was being elected to the North Carolina House. Of representatives. And at the time, I was actually working on a political campaign for uh, Hillary for America. So I had a staging location on Central Avenue uh, and I was working for the coordinated campaign, which was the DNC, the North Carolina Democratic Party and Mecklenburg County. We were a collaborative group and I had a staging location. So you know, even even considering it then, it wasn't like I was going to run. It was literally, again, actually, John came to me and a few other people were like, Marjorie, consider filling my seat. 
And of course, the seat fulfillment was like, yeah, I respect you. I've worked with you since your very first campaign. I'd be happy to do it. I've been close enough to you. I can make an impact there. And I can keep going, you know, doing doing the stuff that I like to do. Because that's what I was going to do back in 2017. But of course, it didn't kind of work out like that. It, you know, they appointed Dimple at the time, which funny story, um, when I was at the dais and I spoke for my three minutes, the one council member who wanted me on council at that time, who was like team Marjorie was Ed Driggs. So I remember that day kind of when things were over, Ed came to the edge of the dais and he called me over. He was like, Marjorie, I'd like to know more about you. I'd like to sit down with you and, and talk to you. And so we exchanged numbers. We spoke, we met for like three hours, chopped it up. I got to know Ed back in like 2017. Uh, and I gained a totally new respect for him. So you've gone from community volunteer, sort of dipping your toe a little bit in the political side of things. Then you decide, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to run. What is that process of running for a city council seat like? I know that, you know, you have to raise money. You have to file paperwork. You have to run a campaign. You have to go to meetings and ask for people's support. What is that whole process like from a candidate's point of view? So you, you need help. You can't. So it, it's kind of twofold because I did a lot by myself. One of our past council members, uh, Larkin Eggleston, who we were young Dems together. So Larkin was one of the main people pulling at me to do it. <laughs> He's like, you know, Marjorie, you need to do this. You know, he was like every other day, like texting me like Marjorie, you know. And so my first, I guess, what you would say meeting, Larkin took me to. I was in a room with Larkin and there were constituents from his area. There were donors and Larkin gets in front of all these people. And he's like, hey, this I think I just told him like a day before that I was actually going to do it. <laughs> and he's like, you know, this is Marjorie Molina. She's going to be our next, you know, city council representative from District 5. And I'm just looking at him. And then next thing I know, I started having people kind of come up to me and wanting to get to know me. So he actually he especially from a donations perspective gave me a soft launch into meeting some of the people who actually donate to campaigns um and that that actually helped me you know make some of those relationships and then a lot of that was just going to meetings doing what i'd always done showing up meeting people do you enjoy that do you like going out and meeting new people and asking them to support you i don't like asking for money i i feel like it, that's never going to be natural for me because I feel like I'm asking for it for myself, you know, and everyone kept trying to coach me along the way to say like, no, Marjorie, it's for the campaign. You shouldn't feel guilty, but I'm like, but I'm asking someone for money. Like, <laughs> and I, I just, I, I struggled with that. I struggled with fundraising, but talking to people. Yeah. I, I love connecting with humans of different backgrounds. That's always been a personal passion. You know, we more alike than we are different. Once we get a good conversation going with someone, we realize, you know, we have more similarities than we do differences. And that's yeah, and, what I love. And the district I know that you now represent, I mean, it's one of the more diverse districts in Charlotte. You know, the east side, you know, have, you have a growing Latino population, you have an African-American population, you know, white, I mean, it, it, uh, Asian. I mean, there's, it's a very diverse group. I mean, how do you reach out to those different constituencies when you're running a campaign? Well, I'm I'm fully fluent in Spanish. Like I'm my my fluency is not a learned fluency. My fluency is I can write a paper in Spanish. I can read in Spanish. 
I speak very, very well. Um, so that is a bridge that I've, I've, you know, because my children are multiracial and multi, multi-ethnic. So I've, for the last 18 years, had a multiracial and multi-ethnic household, not to mention the people who I lived with when I was a kid, they're, they're white American, blonde hair, blue eyes. Uh, so I've had already a very blended experience uh, that I, I guess some of it's not as foreign to me as it would be for someone who didn't have the same experiences that I have had. Well, it sounds like, you know, the campaign that you ran, evidently it paid off. You know, you, you won with 40% of the vote in a five-way race in the Democratic primary. It wasn't really that close. And, and you knew that going in that whoever won that was going to have no Republican opposition. And so the winner of that was going to be essentially the next uh, city council representative for, for District 5 for the east side. What was that moment like on election night for you when you realized, gosh, voters are entrusting me with this. Um, this is something that, that, that has actually come together. What was that like? Humbling. Very extremely humbling. Uh, so Tony, I graduated from school four days before the primary was over. Like I'm, I'm, I'm planning events and taking finals. <laughs> and it was so tough. Like I can remember certain days where I took a nap and got up and did the same thing again. Like it was, it was, it was full on for a very long time. And I was, I was worried at first, you know, because I, it, we did have some pretty decent people in the race. I mean, people who were passionate, people who had their own funds to run their races. I had to purely raise money to run my race uh, because I didn't have money from myself that I could loan myself to run my campaign. So it literally was fundraising and campaigning simultaneously to even be able to compete uh, in the race. So it was humbling. Like I, I can't tell you how grateful I am to to be in this position. I mean, <laughs> you know, um, and, and I find myself checking the pulse of the people who trusted me, asking them questions, getting an idea of what they would like to have happen from a leadership perspective and allowing that to guide me in a direction to seek opportunities for us. So a lot of the people who, all the people, especially the most vocal of them, they really help to guide my perspective when it comes to what I feel is important for the district. So what was that period like after you won the primary election? And I think we've talked before, but you know, you all of a sudden you had people calling you, wanting to get together. Let's have coffee. And I will admit, I was one of those people too. You okay. were. I said, I said, well, I, I've, frankly, I've never heard of you before May of this year, and now you're going to be yeah. a, a member of the city council. And I said, well, let's get together and, and talk. But what what is? And I know you had developers calling you. You had different, you know, other council members calling you. Uh, what you know? What was that like? What, what, you had a lot of people reaching out. I mean, what was that period like? You hear things from a political perspective, right? Where there's this, you have to be careful what you do, what you say, how you say it, who you meet with, you know, and, and we have so many examples that we can draw from where people miss misstep, you know? So I found myself like pre-meeting, except for some, but there were some where I was like, okay, is this legal? Can we do this? Should I meet? Who is the person? Do we have a background? If I could, not all the time though. But are you doing um, that on your own? Is there somebody the city has? Is there a liaison? Oh no, I, I'd ask. 
for colleagues, I'd ask the city. The city don't give you that guidance right away unless you're like, hey, is it? But I do ask, like I'll ask. We have these ethics. We'd taken ethics trainings too intermittently once we gotten through the primary. And the ones of us like Dante and I that knew we were going to serve on council, I think we had like three ethics trainings, you know, where they told us what was within the parameters of what we could do and couldn't do. Wait, what sort of things that, are we talking about? Like, you know, taking, you know, somebody buying you lunch or people yep, wanting yep. to take you places on their dime, things yep, like that? Yep. Like $50 is your limit. You know, you can't go over 50. I don't care if it's $50 and one cents. Like it's, you know, those types of things from a legal perspective, um, you know, except gifts. I mean, those types of things. I mean, did you have we, issues? Did you have questions like that in, in this period between, you know, May, this May, June, July, this summer? Were there, I don't want to say issues like that, but were there things that came up where you said, I wonder if I should meet with that person or I wonder if I should go to this event? Well, as long as I knew it was going to be like you and I, a coffee, I mean, I'm good because <laughs> you're not going to find a $50 coffee, right? No, you're we're getting close. Buy... Some places you're getting kind of close. You get one of those frappuccinos with a bunch of extra pumps. Or yeah. But, you know, now that you've taken office, but what is that like? It strikes me, you know, we've sort of been in touch over the last few weeks and you, you went from this, I know you had swearing in and you talked a little bit about that, um, but but now you've got a scheduler. Saw on Instagram, you're going to the President's Cup. The side of it you don't see, you're also sitting through hours-long rezoning meetings. You're there late at night on Monday. And like we've talked before, you've got a couple kids. You've got a lot of commitments. What is it like now, now that you're actually a member of the city council? What is that? Busy. Okay. <laughs> it's like I'm back in grad school because I'm, I'm studying constantly. Uh, there's a curve. to There's an immense amount of data that you have to try and understand before a meeting and you you need a level of acumen i the one thing i would say to anybody who aspires to do this this is not a popularity contest this is learning learning reading uh, i promise you it, it's it's like a graduate degree like you are reading pages upon pages of information you are incrementally making yourself adept at the various areas within city government and who you need to even talk to to achieve an objective that I'm still figuring that out now I I don't even know yet which floor has the departments that I'm looking for yet right, right? I, like, I would say not everybody on council maybe approaches it in that same way that, that you do I mean I know a lot of people who've been on there a while maybe they have that background but from what I understand not everybody Re, I think researches everything completely thoroughly and exhaustively maybe before going into these meetings. Um, yeah. but, you know, people have different ways that they, they approach things. I would also point out that, you know, a lot of people think, oh, well, gosh, this will be a great ticket to something else that this is a job. It's, you know, it's, it's conceived as a part-time job, which actually most people I think treat as a full-time job. The salary is about $34,000 a year. And with, um, with different allowances for technology and things like that, it's more like 52, but that's not, um, it's not, I, you put in a lot. It sounds like you're putting in a lot of time. You are. I got my first check and I looked at it from a quantitative perspective on where I've worked and what I've done and how much time I've put in. And I made less than minimum wage. Yep. So mm -hmm. why do you do it? I still believe, and, and trust me, I, I can't tell you that I'm permanently here from that perspective uh, because it has to make sense, you know, both fiscally and from a, a life aspiration perspective. I'm in it now 
And the one thing that I do do is when I do something, I commit to the end, but I need to make it. I honestly just coming in the door, this being my fourth week, this is a full-time position, Tony. Yeah. I mean, the I number don't of even emails you get, I can't imagine how many emails, you know, like you say, you, you got two kids, you're raising two kids. And then, you know, you get these emails from somebody saying that the, Hey, the street light is busted. What, who, who do I talk to? And it's like, okay, well, you know, you have a lot of different con, you know, constituent stuff. It's the studying for the, you know, up, studying up on the, the meetings. It just sounds like there's a lot. There is. It's a lot. And I don't think you do it for the money. And everyone coming in the door knows that this is not going to pay you a lot of money. A lot of the people do have day jobs. I'd intended that at first, but I know that in order to do this and understand it, I need to give my full attention to it so that I can be adept. And then maybe I can add some competing deliverables. But right now, I'm fully focused on it so that I can learn. And I'm very interested in learning the craft. So what do you want to accomplish in your time on the city council? I don't feel like anyone in this leadership body is an island. I feel like Eastland Yards was the culmination of years of work prior to me getting here. And so what I'll do now is continue to talk to stakeholders so that we can add to that, you know, and that's what I would like to do. I would like to add value to what's been established already in East Charlotte. And a lot of it has been done for me and a lot of it, I'm going to start brand new conversations for the time that I've been here. East Charlotte has so much potential. You think about it, we're we're closer to Uptown than South Park. Once people start to realize our proximity to Uptown and some of the prime amenities in the city, people will eventually start to take hold, especially once we have the transportation infrastructure that supports arriving at those places. I feel like Charlotte will be at some point in our future a premier destination. Um, and I think now we need to talk about structurally, how do we define what that looks like? You know, and so in East Charlotte, we have this unique opportunity to to shape that. Right. South End is shaped. South Park shaped. Valentine shaped. You can't restructure them and make them a different area of town because they already have an identity. And so Charlotte is in this un- East Charlotte in particular uh, is in this unique place where we can absolutely define what East Charlotte is going to be. So we're in a a great time in East Charlotte to be able to add value. What are you hearing from people on the East side about what they want that future to look like? Uh, The main thing is, you know, transportation infrastructure, especially lately. A lot of the transportation conversations, they're long-term projects where even I will be much older before those infrastructure projects are instituted. So Even something that I talk about now, my children will probably be grown and married before we realize it. So are you talking um, about the streetcar extension or are you talking about road improvements? Yeah, we have some that are shorter term. And I think where I can add the most value existing infrastructure and items that we can deliver on right away, you know, bringing stakeholders who are willing to invest in our side of town so that we can start to see some of that opportunity are, you know, being brought our way. Quarters of opportunity. <laughs> can't see um, you're wearing a shirt, I think, a quarter of yeah. opportunity green t-shirt. Yeah. We, we have some unique conversations right now being asked about, you know, what's coming to the corridors of opportunity. How do we promote safety in our corridor specifically, which is the Albemarle Road corridor? So it's not all of Albemarle Road because, you know, that stretch is from Independence Boulevard all the way out to our county line. Albemarle Road is a long road. So there's only a stretch of that road that's considered what we would consider to be a corridor. So that's like 
you know, going down towards Independence where it starts and it stops right above Lawyers Road is what that corridor is. And so we intend to invest in that area and make it more safe, make transit more possible, make ideas for economic development, primary. And that's what people are really coming to the table, like the Charlotte Easts, the FINCOs, the ECONs, which those are acronyms for the Far East Neighborhood Coalition and the East Charlotte Coalition of Neighbors. And of course, Charlotte East, which they're a larger group because they encompass three areas. So they have some of Tarek Bakari's district, some of Dante Anderson's district, and they have all of District 5. But it's essentially what is East Charlotte, but it, it's covering three particular districts. I love how the people on East Charlotte are always saying the sun is rising in the East. Oh, yeah, it always rises. I Listen, I chase the sun. Like, I, I got a sun on my wall, a sun and a moon. Like, that's why I moved here. You know, the, the nature, the lots. The potential, you know, 12, 13 years ago was like, wow, look at this yard. Because I was coming from South Charlotte. So it's like, I looked at the yard. I was sold on the yard. I was like, wow, the kids can play. And, you know, I can put up a fence and they got space. And, you know, and that's unique to this area in that we have large lots. Our houses are older. And, and I just loved it. The sunrise. I, I look out this window where I'm at right now. And every morning, according to what season, the sun just comes blasting through every window on the east side of my house. That sounds like a nice image for us to end on today. And I appreciate yeah. you joining us. Oh, thank you for having me, Tony. All right. Well, that's a wrap. And to our listeners, thank you for listening. The Charlotte Ledger podcast is produced by Lindsay Banks. You can find out more about the Charlotte Ledger at thecharlotteledger.com.